I don't know about you guys, but I'm excited. That's um, should be good. So if you're here a couple of weeks ago, Rick set out the uh, the vision for 2020, uh, going deeper and, and and spreading wider. And it was a really, it's a great vision. It's it's a really solid, just a, a really future thinking vision. But in the course of his message, he used this word that I still can't believe he actually said it in a public setting. It was really quite disgraceful. <laughs> uh, it's 2020, it's a modern Western church, and to use this kind of language in a, in a message was just, uh, I mean, this might be our, our, our last month here, you know, it's been 10 years, but <laughs> he used this word discipline. <laughs> I know, right? Like, it's 2020, Rick, come on. Get with the times, man. But it is a bit of a dirty word, isn't it? Discipline. It's something we don't really want to have to think about. You know, we know what's there. It's kind of this salient thing in our lives that we know we need to tap into at times, but we don't really like it. It's, it, it just kind of, it takes work. It's, it takes effort. It takes something, you know, it means doing something we don't want to do. And no one wants to be like that. I mean, the culture that we're in, we want gratification. We want it now. You don't want to have to, you know, wait to maybe, you know, get something later on. We want it now. And, you know, to, to, to have to sacrifice that, it's, it's quite a challenge. So I was, I was quite disgusted by your language, Rick, but I'm going to pick up on it and maybe unpack it a little bit this morning. They're talking about going deeper. Uh, to spread wide, you need to go deep. You know, to have a huge building, you need to have deep foundations. And so to do that, it takes discipline. Now, it's, it's, it's an interesting word, this word discipline. Um, it comes from the Latin word disciplina which basically just means education. It means learning. Um, it was just an educational term. And so the word uh, discipulus, where we get our word disciple from, is just a student. Somebody who's learning something. Somebody who's developing a, a skill set, developing a, a way of life, setting a habit. This is what discipline is. Now, it's not easy, of course, but it's not that scary. If you're a student of Christ, then you're a disciple of Christ. You are somebody who has been disciplined. And it's not like the discipline you give to your three-year-olds when they do something naughty. Well, sometimes it might be that. But it's, it's setting in your life a habit, a way of doing things. But here's the thing about discipline. Discipline in any time, in any culture, in any place, discipline is the foundation of a successful life. You cannot have success without discipline. You simply can't. You might think you can fluke your way through it. You won't. You simply won't. You see, anybody who has any sort of success in business or in athletics or in education or whatever it is that they might be doing in their relationships and their family, people that have success in these areas have it because of discipline. They've done it the hard way. They've done it the way of sacrifice. So if you want success, which I'm sure we all do, it's going to take discipline. And if you're not finding you're having success, the question you first need to ask is, what am I doing wrong? Or what do I need to do better? Because we can blame our circumstances, we can blame the society, we can blame the government, we can lay the blame at everybody else's feet. But the first set of feet we need to lay blame at is often our own. We need to ask ourselves, what is it that I'm doing that's causing this to happen? Now, there might be things you need to change about some circumstances. You might need to change, but ultimately, the decision comes back to you. So when we get in trouble in life, if success comes through discipline, 
then if our life is falling apart, it's logically through a lack of discipline. Wouldn't you say? Look at Proverbs 5. I'm going to put it up on the screen for you. It says, At the end of your life you will groan when your flesh and your body are spent. You will say, How I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or turn my ear to my instructors, and I was soon in serious trouble in the assembly of God's people. He got into trouble for a reason. The reason was he hated discipline. He wouldn't listen to his teachers. The only person he had to blame was himself, and soon realized, I've got myself into trouble because of decisions that I've made along the way because I wouldn't allow discipline to be a part of my life. It says at the end of the Proverbs, for your ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all your paths. The evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sins hold them fast. For lack of discipline, they will die, led astray by their own great folly. Now we could say, oh, well, you know, people are just naturally evil. Well, there's, of course, there's a fallen nature to us. But the reason why we ultimately fail is simply through a lack of discipline. It's simply through living according to folly, to stupidity, taking bad advice, not listening to a voice of wisdom. So we have this world that's about instant gratification. We live in a world that's all about the here and now. If you want something, just go get a credit card. If you want that relationship, just go and have it now. Whatever the cost is, it doesn't matter. Just it's, it's about the here and now. It's about the right now. It's about this microwave culture. There's no sense of saving, maybe thinking about the future and maybe setting yourself up for the future. It's just about today. But then when things go wrong, I can almost guarantee you that if something has gone wrong, if you looked back across the span of your life, you'll find a couple of things. Either one, you'll, you'll see what you didn't do just for being lazy. You were just too lazy. I just couldn't be bothered, but now I'm paying the price for it. Or you'll look at things that you did do for a lack of discipline. I know I shouldn't have, but I did it, and now I'm paying the price. Now, of course, there's exceptions to all of these rules, but I think in most cases, that's what we can lay the blame on. Decisions that we've made along the way, either through a lack of discipline, being lazy, or a lack of discipline and just doing what we felt like doing at the time. And then when we find ourselves in trouble, that's when we need to look back and say, maybe it was something that I did. Now, it's too late. Of course, you can make changes. But I think the first thing we need to address is that discipline. So what is discipline? Well, it's taking the time to set the foundations that will set us up for the future. It's taking the time to lay the foundations that will set us up for the future. It's paying the price now to receive a greater reward later on. It's investing now for the future. It's like a superannuation policy. It's a little bit here every week so that you can set yourself up for later on in life. You could spend that money right now, but then you'll get to retirement and go, well, now I'm stuffed. But that's simply what discipline is. And the thing about it, the thing why it's so unappealing, is that it's not exciting. It's just not the, the, the passionate excitement that I want all the time in my life. 
It's actually very often kind of boring. And more than that, it's often behind the scenes. It's often when no one's looking. Um, I work in Parramatta, so I, uh, you know, whenever, when I go into work, I always go on the train. And for about maybe a year and a half, two years, they were building uh, this building near, the, um, uh, near where my, the station was. And so by that stage, I'd sort of, you know, I'd always be out of my seat. I'd be waiting at the door to, to get out of the station. I'd always go past this construction site. And for maybe 18 months, it was a hole in the ground. And it didn't seem to do much. But you could see that there were people working there. There was earth-moving equipment, and things were clearly happening. But it just didn't seem to change very much. If anything, it's just that the hole got a bit deeper, a bit deeper, a bit deeper. You didn't really notice it, because it was just happening so slowly that there was no significant change that you could say, oh, how much have they dug since yesterday? Oh, my goodness, wow, look how deep that hole is. And then there was some pillars, concrete pillars that were set up, and, you know, one, one by one. And again, if you, unless you sort of saw it six months apart, you didn't really notice any significant change. But then I went in one day, and there was a floor. And then within a few months, there was a building. And you couldn't see the foundations anymore. You couldn't see all the, the... It took three times as long to lay the foundations for this thing that it did to actually build the building. And the thing about the foundations was you'll never see them again. But if they're not there, that building collapses. See, we want the building. We want the, the big, glamorous, glorious, look how big this building is. Isn't that so impressive? But without those foundations, it would just simply crumble. So we look at these big lives, we see these people, we say, oh, I want their success, I want these great things that they have. We don't see the years that have gone into lay the foundations to support that life or that success. Remember, we used to pray all the time. We'd say, God, you know, give us the revival like we see in Acts 2. Add thousands to our numbers. And I look back and I think, I thank God that he didn't answer that prayer. Honestly. Because as a church, we would have collapsed. Because we hadn't laid the foundations. We had no foundations to handle 30 people, let alone 3,000. Because we hadn't put the time in. We just wanted the glory. We wanted the glamour. We wanted the big church. What we would have ended up with is 3,000 lives damaged for Christ forever. So we need discipline, and we need discipline to live for God. I want to pick up on the passage that Rick was preaching about two weeks ago. So um, it'll be on the screen, but if you want to read, it's in Ephesians 5. And he was reading from Ephesians 5, 15 to 17, and I have to admit, for part of the sermon, I was sort of going through all of Ephesians 5 because this sermon was starting to come to mind. So don't be offended that I missed some of the sermon, but it was for a good point. So I did, I did hear the discipline bit, and I'm still shaken by it, but the rest of it. But this particular passage... Uh, you'll notice I've got the little um, ellipsis there. It, it actually picks up on something that begins at the beginning of chapter 5. Um, in Roman oratory, it's what you would call an inclusio. Uh, so, okay, when a letter like Paul's, like, like Ephesians, was written, it wasn't written to be quietly read because 90% of the population couldn't read. It was written to be performed. It was written as a speech. It was a sermon. And so the first Ephesians who heard this letter would have heard it performed to them. And so it was a sermon, it was oratory. And 
what you do in oratory is you use different rhetorical techniques in order to convey the information. You structure it in a certain way that people can just sort of follow along with, with what's been said. Um, you know, like the way that we might use different points in a sermon, it's, it's structured in such a way that you can get the most out of the content. And so one of these techniques that you would use is what's called an inclusio, where you begin and end a section with a, with a shared idea, and the content of it is filled in in the middle. So it's kind of like brackets in a sentence. So in this particular case, what brackets, is, brackets this section is this shared idea around this word peripateo which is the Greek word which simply means to walk around. So it has a literal sense of when I walk down the street, that's peripateo, it's the, it's the action of actually walking. But for Paul, it takes on more of a metaphorical sense. It's the idea of just going through life, just doing life, walking through life on a day-to-day -day basis. And so when Paul talks about that's why it's translated in different ways. In the first section, it's translated walk, literally, in the way of love. But in the second part, it's how you live, peripateo. Same word, but just different nuance. So the question comes down to, how do you live your daily life? How do you do the day-to-day? -day? Because the reality is, most of your life is lived just in the day-to-day. In fact, all of your life has lived in the day-to-day, -day, but the successes come from what you do in that day-to-day. -day. Whatever you achieve and whatever successes you might have in God's kingdom are a result of the day-to-day. -day. It's the what you do behind the scenes. And so the question we ask ourselves is, what do we do in the everyday? What disciplines do we have that are setting us up either for success or conversely for failure? Because at the end of the day, we've only got ourselves to blame. Or we've only got ourselves to thank for whatever success that might come our way. And so there are a couple of things in here in this passage that Paul sort of sets out in the ways that God wants us just to go about our daily lives. And we'll unpack them as we go through. But the first one is just following in his ways. Just walk in the way that God walks. That's why Jesus came, to show us what daily life looks like. He came as, as a model, as exhibit A of the Christian life. And so it says, walk in that way. Do a life of holiness. So that's one important aspect of our lives. It also says to walk in wisdom. Live according to good, good godly advice. So we'll talk a lot more about that as well. It also talks about literally purchasing the time. Make the most of every opportunity, but literally it means purchasing the time. The word in Greek is ex agoreo. So we get the word agora. Agora is the Greek word for a market. So it's literally to purchase something from the market. Purchase the time. In other words, don't let anything get wasted. And you go, well, what do you mean, making the most of the time? What are you talking about? Well, take every opportunity to do the things of God. Every opportunity you see to do good, do it. Don't let it go past. Because you just don't know what might come of that one little thing. So don't let any opportunity be wasted. But here's the real catch, the real clincher. Know the Lord's will for your life. 
Know what God's will is for your life. This is Christianity. We've got these really crazy conceptions about Christianity. Is my water over here? Oh, thanks. People think, oh, Christianity is just a crutch. It's just uh, for people that need to feel better about themselves so they go and hang out in a church. Or it's all about just trying to be moral and God has all of these strict regulations and, you know, that's good for some people, but, you know, that's not really for me. These different ideas about Christianity, is it's, it's actually really simple. You were created by God to do good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. You were made for a specific purpose. And you will only find that in God because he is your creator. That's why you come to Christ, to find you, the real you. See, we've kind of got this culture that talks, we add the prefix self to everything. Self-help, self-esteem, self, and whatever noun you want to put in front of it. It seems to be a new one every day. Because it's all about you and your efforts to do what's good for you because you self-define, you self-identify, your whatever it is that you want to say about yourself. Whatever feels good for today. And so all the onus goes back on you to figure it out for yourself. Here's the problem. You can't. Because it's only in Christ that we can find our true self. Because it's, only in, it's in Christ that we're created. So coming to Christ is to actually find yourself. And when you figure that out, then it's just a matter of living in that. And it's where you're going to find the most fulfillment. Because you're actually going to figure out all of these things you're created for and all of these things you're gifted for, you'll start to really succeed in them because you're made for them. Kind of sometimes... You know, it's like we're trying to do heart surgery with a, with a sledgehammer. Like, it's, it's, it's not what you're made for. It doesn't work. You have a purpose. You're made for something particular. And when you do that, you find, actually, you, you enjoy it because you're really good at it. Like, it comes really easily because you're built for it. So figure that out, and then peripateo. Walk in that. That becomes your everyday. Not what everybody else is doing, but God, what is it that you've got for me today? And that's a discipline. Every day, set in your life before God and saying, God, today, just I want to do what you have for me today. That's the discipline. So what are these disciplines? I'm glad you asked. Because in this inclusio is the three-point sermon. Paul was Pentecostal, I'm convinced of it. He, he is as Pentecostal as they come. Because there's like three clear points here, it's fantastic. Um, maybe I read three into it, I don't know, we'll see. It, 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 three works though, it's good. No, they're not in Corinthians, so it doesn't quite count. But it's, you know, we'll, we'll let him have it for Ephesians. The first one is this. We need a discipline of morality. We need a, dis- a discipline of holiness. Paul says, but amongst you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. 
For this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. In the Jewish understanding, they understood that idolatry was the head of the stream for all other sin. We, have, we fell into sin the moment we went into idolatry. So everything that flows out, we try to categorize sins. We say, you know, there's all these particularly bad ones and not so bad ones. And, you know, gossip doesn't ever seem to register because we like to talk about everybody else's sin. But we have sort of these sort of categories of what's better and what's worse. But for the Jews, it was all sin is bad and all sin begins with idolatry. Because what is idolatry? I don't need God. I can be God myself. And then I just do whatever comes naturally. Because all other sin is just self-serving. Everything else is just about me. Because of the first sin, which is that I put myself before God. So God has set us on a really narrow path. And this is the hard thing. This is where people struggle with Christianity. Because it is a narrow path. God's expectation of us is perfection. Now, we can't get there. That's... That's what we always need to remember. We can't ever be perfect because we're not. But that's the goal. Be perfect as the Lord is perfect. That's the benchmark. Have you you got to perfection? Well, Well, no, I've never have. That's why you need Christ. That's why he's the one doing the perfecting. And along the way, we set ourselves, God has set us on this very, very, very narrow path. And the discipline is to stay on it. It's a day-to-day discipline of staying on that path. It's deciding to remain on that and deciding not to do that instead. Now, here's the problem with that, is that it's often not very fun. And it's often not very easy. And more often than not, it's actually very unnatural. Because the natural self, the the, the earthy self is fallen, and its natural desire is to do those things. And so if that's the strongest part of us, its desire will be to lead us off the path. You walk in this path, but you're always looking at the temptations. You're always looking at the other opportunities. And sooner or later, the thing that feels natural, you just slide in and out of it. And so it actually feels natural because in our natural self, we're fallen. That's what our natural self desires after. It takes some discipline to stay away from that, to actually allow the spirit that's transforming us to let that be the natural self. It's a process called sanctification. The more we stay on this path, the easier it becomes. The more we apply that discipline, the smoother it becomes, the less we're inclined to go over here because the spirit is taking stronger and stronger control. But that takes discipline. Think of it like exercise. You want to be spiritually fit, then do the spiritual discipline. And it's boring, and it's sometimes hard, and it's, it's just, it's not natural. That's why you take it a day at a time. Just one day at a time. But here's the key thing about this particular path. This path has a destiny. This path is actually going somewhere. 
It's going to the place for which God has created you for. It's going towards the person that God has created you to be, where you will find the ultimate success. Because we, again, we can measure success as, well, I want, it's, it's money, or it's this, or it's that, or the other. No, no, no. Success is whatever God has created you to do, whatever that looks like. Success is standing before God and hearing those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Not good and healthy, fit, strong servant or healthy, wealthy, no, 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 no. That might be part of it. Well done, good and faithful servant. You just did the daily discipline. You did what it created you for and here you are. And whatever that looks like is as unique as you are. By contrast, let's come back to Proverbs 5. It says, her feet, talking about the adulteress, her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths wander aimlessly, but she does not know it. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you lose your honor to others and your dignity to one who is cruel. The thing about the path of the adulteress, of this sinful path, is that it just goes around in circles. It actually isn't really going anywhere, and it ultimately just leads to death. You eventually just sort of wither away. It's purposeless. It's meaningless. And if all it's really achieving is to get you to the next moment of satisfaction. Because that's what it becomes. When it's about you and it's about your satisfaction, then it's only ever about getting the next satisfaction. You might have some satisfaction, but it's never enough. And so you're just looking for the next one and the next one and the next one. And this whole law of diminishing returns, all of that starts to kick in. And so it needs to be more. It needs to be sooner. It needs to be more elaborate. And it just keeps going this way and going this way and going this way until it eventually just leads down to death. Take greed as an example. The thing about greed is that it's never enough. And we go, oh, yeah, well, you know, there are certainly greedy people. Yeah, yeah, they're in the mirror. You're looking at them every day. (laughs) Because it's all of us, because that's the world that we're in. Where it's always about your satisfaction. Look at all advertising. It's about you. It's about the right now. It's about the satisfaction. But we've almost made it a moral thing. You deserve this. Forget about this, you know, $30,000 car you drive. You deserve a $50,000, not because of any moral, inherently moral thing you've necessarily done, but it's somehow or other it's moral. Somehow or other you've, by virtue of waking up in the morning and breathing, you deserve this. And so you've got to do whatever it takes to get it. You notice, though, whenever you get it, it's never enough. Because it wasn't so much about the thing, it was about the satisfaction. If a $50,000 whatever doesn't satisfy, well, maybe that satisfied me for a little while, but now I need something more. And then something bigger. And it just keeps going, and it keeps going, until eventually you don't even know who you are anymore. You can apply that to all sin, but I think greed is certainly one that we, uh, we often overlook. So what's the solution that this, this author gives us? Just stay right away. Don't even go there. 
keep right away, keep to a path, not even, don't even walk down the same street as her. If there's a long way around, take that way. Because the moment you see that, the temptation's going to kick in. So how about you just don't even go there? Oh, but I'm strong. No, you're not. No, sorry, no. You might think you are, but you're not. You might get through it once. You might walk past the house and go, yeah, yeah, I'll just walk right past it. Didn't even think about it. I'll go back there tomorrow. It'll be the same thing. Yeah, you do that every day. Just keep doing that. Because the enemy is really patient. I mean, really patient. He'll wait your whole life if that's what it takes. But you're given that opportunity, he'll get you in the end. So here's a quick test. I want to throw tests out to you for all of these points. There you go. So here's, here's your test. Think about your current habits. Good habits, bad habits. Think about your current habits, whether to do with health, finance, spirituality, sexuality, relationships. Think about whatever habits you have in your life. And ask yourself the question, or looking down the road of where that habit will take you, ask the question, where is it going? Think about the logical conclusion of this particular thing that you're doing. Where's it going to end up? Be it financial decisions you're making, relationship decisions, spiritual decisions. Where are the decisions? Where, is, where are your habits ultimately going to lead you? And ask yourself this, do I need to change any of those habits? Because it might feel good right now, and tomorrow it might feel about the same. And if you're taking it day to day... It, you don't really notice the diminishing. But give it 10 years. Where's that going to end up in 10 years? 20 years, 30 years? Because you've got a long life ahead of you. Some less than others, but, you know, there's still some years there. <laughs> um, so I don't normally like to do the self-help thing, but it's starting to feel like it's leaning that way. Let me just throw out to you uh, something I read about 18 months ago. I read it in a book, so it must be good. Um, but I applied this to my life, and actually it was a real game changer for me. So the book, the book I was reading was called The One Thing. So if you want to read a really good book about sort of getting some of this stuff right, read The One Thing. It's a really good sort of guide there. And one of the things he was talking about was forming habits. Now, we all know, you've all heard that on average it takes 66 days to form a habit. And that's kind of statistically where they, where they kind of are. So about two months. Do something every day for two months, and you'll form a new habit in your life. And that all sounds very good in theory, but it's another thing to actually do that. To actually do that thing that you don't want to do for 60, 66 days in a row. It's not that easy. That's why it's called discipline. But he, he sort of said this. He said, this is a really good way to do it. Now, we, we've all heard of willpower. We've all got willpower. Every day we wake up, and we've got a certain amount of willpower that we can use to do tasks that we may not otherwise want to do if we're tired. But that, after a point... At the, uh, after a certain amount, you actually run out. And so the next day, it's refreshed, but you've only got sort of a certain amount for the day. And so that's why usually at the end of the day, if you've really exerted yourself, you're just exhausted. You don't want to do anything else. You just want to lie there and just veg out. So he said this, rather than use your willpower to just do a task, he said, use your willpower to create a good habit. Then it becomes a habit, and it's not something you have to strive to do anymore. I'll give you an example of how I did this. So for me, exercise was always a challenge. 
Um, I've always had a pretty good metabolism, like I've never really had to worry so much about it. It was sort of, you know, I, just, I could just sort of get through and eat whatever I want and, and everything's okay. Um, but I'm actually getting older. I actually turn 40 next week. I know, right? It's, this is what it feels like being an old man. But 18 months ago, I started to, this started to dawn on me that I'm not going to be in my 30s forever, that 40s coming up, and, you know, whether I like it or not, I'm, I'm going to start to deteriorate. So I thought, I've got to get this exercising right. Now, I tried it in the past. I tried all sorts of exercise. I tried running once. <laughs> you people that run and talk about how much you enjoy running, what is wrong with you? Seriously, seriously, just unbelievable. But I always enjoyed the gym. I used to go and work out with a friend, you know, twice a week. I should have done more, but I was just too lazy because I do it after work and I had zero energy. I'm like, I've got to go to the gym. Urgh. But I sort of did it because I made a promise to him. Then I, I tried a gym membership and, I, you know, I thought, oh, I'll do it. You know, I was, I was at home studying, so I thought I'll do it sort of maybe through the middle of the day. But then by the middle of the day, I just didn't, I just had too many other things to do. I didn't want to stop what I was doing and go to the gym. I just, I could never f make it work. And honestly, it's because I was too lazy. I just didn't have the discipline to do it. Anyway, so I read this book, and I thought, all right, I'm, I've got to get this thing right. So got my gym membership. Now I've got a gym 10 minutes walk down the road from my house. So I had no excuse, like just no excuse whatsoever. I didn't even, I didn't even need a car. And I could use the walk as exercise. I mean, everything was just a win-win. So I got my membership, and it was in the middle of winter. So right, if I had any excuse, I was like, I'll wait till summer when it's warm. And this is the middle of winter. I thought, no, nah, I'm going to get this thing right. So I did it every day for 60 days, for two months. And now it's just a habit. I don't necessarily enjoy it. I, I, more and more so. It's, I'm becoming a bit more of a, bit of a masochist. I kind of enjoy the, the workout. But it's just part of what I do. In fact, if the days where I miss a workout, it's like, ah, oh, just, oh, I'm probably going to just, you know, fall apart because I didn't work out today. Like, it's just, it's almost like I'm feeling guilty about it. But it's just part of what I do. And what I did was that I did the very first thing in the day. When I had the most willpower, when I had the most energy, I wake up, so at 5 o'clock every morning, I'm in the gym, do my workout, then it's done. And I can feel better about myself for the rest of the day and whatever I eat because I went to the gym this morning. And everything else can just go to hell. But whatever. I've done my workout. But that's what it takes. Just form good habits. Form good spiritual habits. It's not easy because it's... It's just not easy, but set those things in place. And I know that, you know, 10 years from now, when I'm 50, oh, I'm going to be so much better for it. Forget about when I'm 60. So that was the first point. That was the longer point. The last two are fairly quick. So the first discipline is the discipline of holiness or a discipline of morality. The second discipline is a discipline of association. Who do you hang out with? Ephesians says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. I actually think in a lot of cases, it's not that people are naturally evil. They have a you know, proclivity towards evil. I mean, of course, we have that. But I think in a lot of cases, it's people just acting on bad advice. People just listening to the wrong people. Because it sounds smart. It's somebody that has done some study in something, so they must know what they're talking about. And so we listen to them and do it, because it just, it's sort of, maybe it sounds right, or actually feels right. It kind of appeals to that natural self. But the question is really, who are, the, who are your leaders? 
Who are your mentors? Who are the people from whom you take advice? And the question you have to ask about them is this. What sort of lives do they live? What's been the end result of their own wisdom? So go back 20 years to when I got saved. And I might have shared this story before, but it was a very pivotal point in my life. So I was 18, 19 years old, and I was sort of at those formative years of adulthood, you know, coming into myself, figuring out who I am, and, you know, I was sort of free to do whatever I want, so I could sort of define whatever this life was going to be. And I was working with my cousin, uh, so he was uh, doing a lot of, of labouring work with him, and, you know, nice enough sort of guy, he's a great guy, he's very well-intended, um, for all I could see, he had a pretty successful sort of a life. He was 10 years old, exactly 10 years older than me. So I could sort of see some measures of success that he'd had. You know, he had a nice house and he had a lovely family and, and all of these things. And so this is the sort of guy I thought I'd like to be like him. And so I'd hung out with him. Obviously, I was working with him, so we spent a lot of time together. We, we he, you know, taught, tried to teach me a lot of things. And, but the sort of advice that he was giving, it sounded right at the time. But it wasn't the sort of lifestyle that's going to lead to anything really great, when I look back in hindsight. And what's been so interesting is that at the same time as when I was saved, I was 19 years old, I became a Christian, and I found people like Rick, who started to speak a very different message into my life. And to my credit, and thank God, I listened to them. I stopped spending time with my cousin, and I started spending time with people who gave a different kind of advice. And what's been so fascinating is this. 20 years down the track, I look at my cousin's life, and it's fallen apart every which way from Sunday. I mean, it has just gone through absolute hell, to the extent where his oldest son was tortured and murdered as a result of the lifestyle that his father had set, set him, the emotions that he'd set his son on. I look at my wife, I look at my family, I look at what God has done in me, and all of that has come about because 20 years ago, I sat down at a Gloria Jeans in Glenmore Park with someone like a Rick Burrell and started to listen to the advice that he gave and just put that, in, put that in place. So the question is really simple. Who are you listening to? Proverbs says this, My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Turn your ear, literally throw your ear, cast your ear at me to my words of insight that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. Why throw it at that person? Because to that advice is often not that comfortable. It's not that easy. For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. So you can listen to two different kinds of advice. On the one hand, advice that it sounds satisfying and it feels easy, which is what all this advice is. It's just, it's just appealing to your natural self. And that seems to be our confirmation. It sounds good because that's what it feels like I need, so therefore I'm just going to do it because everything seems to line up. And when I do it, it feels good. But there's another kind of advice which actually sounds right but feels hard. Logically, you go, you know what? That actually makes a lot of sense. 
putting in good financial barriers so that I can have a, a comfortable retirement. Those sort of things. It sounds right, but it feels hard. It's a very different kind of advice. But both have a very, very different end. So here's your test from this point. Who are you listening to? And more importantly, what sort of life are they living? Because this is the thing that astounds me. We listen to all these people and we take in all of this advice. We never actually stop to look at their own lives. They're giving us this advice about this is what you should be doing and their life has fallen to pieces. And we go, oh, but it sounds right, so I'll do it. It's like, are you not even looking at the person that's talking to you and how stupid their life is? And you want that for yourself? Oh, it'll be different for me. <laughs> oh, we love that one. Don't we? Oh, no, it'll be different for me because I'm different. Spare me. Discipline of association, lastly, the discipline of accountability. Paul says, For you were once in darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed to the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes light. Who are you accountable to? James 5.16, one of the very overlooked passages in the New Testament, probably because Paul didn't write it, is confess your sins to one another and pray with one another. If you're banned, if you wanted to come back up. It's not oh, we need a priest to go and confess our sins because, you know, that's Jesus' job to forgive, obviously. But in being accountable to somebody, you actually have to bring to light who you are. And that can be difficult because here's the thing about sin. Sin is like a mushroom. It doesn't, not that it tastes delicious on a pizza, but it, it breeds in darkness. It breeds in secrecy. It breeds in that place where it's just you, where you make every justification for that thought or that action. And when you leave it there, it just festers. It just grows and eventually consumes. The, simple, the solution is really simple. Bring it into the light. Find somebody you can trust and talk about it. Be real about it. Because the thing you're going to find is the shame you feel about that sin. Everybody else is going through it. You're not the only one. And that's the thing that keeps a secret. Oh, I'm the only person that would ever do this. No, no, you're like everybody else. The thing that might make you different is that you'll be open about it. Just bring it into the light and see what happens to it then. What do they say? Light is the best bleach. So the test is really simple. Do you have people in your life you can talk to, that you can be honest with, you can be real with, trusted Christian friends that just won't judge, that will understand, and will just be able to pray with you? Do you have those people? Now, if you're an old fart like me, it's a little bit trickier. It's hard when you get into a middle age and, you know, to have good friends. It's just, there's, there's too many other things going on. It's like we have all our friends at school and then for the rest of our life, it's kind of like whatever we can sort of pick up along the way. 
it is a bit tricky. I'm talking more about the guys here. The women, I don't know, you, got, you girls are just so different. Like, Rachel makes more friends in a week than I would make in my whole life. She's just, pfft. who are all these people? I can't keep up with them all. For me, it's just like, I had one friend this year. That was, that was a win. But who are those people? And just have a regular relationship. Just be regularly accountable. And pray with each other. It's a simple discipline. But when you look down the course of your life, it's going to be the complete difference between well done, good and faithful servant or away with me, I never knew you. So God wants us to grow high and he wants us to grow wide. But to do that, we need foundations. To lay foundations, we need discipline. The unseen. So let me just pray for that. Holy Spirit, right now in every single heart, even as you've been speaking to me through this time, I know you've been speaking to others here. And for every one of us, there are struggles. For every one of us, there are things that we can do better, we need to do better, there's things that we need to stop doing. There's things we might be doing well as well, points to celebrate, but probably just as many points that we need to fix. And it's not because you're angry with us. It's not because you want some strict life so that you can just lord it over us. It's not that. It's because you want the very best for us. Like little children. We would say to these children, don't do that because that could get you killed. Don't play with that because that will end badly. Sometimes we need to listen to that advice as well. And so right now for every heart, for every life that you're speaking to, I pray for the simple strength and the simple discipline that comes by your spirit to bring about the change today and then to do that again tomorrow and the next day and the next day and to come back to that path of holiness, that path of righteousness that ultimately leads to what you've created us to be. And through that discipline, through that foundation laying, God, you will do things with our lives that are so big and so wide we could never have possibly conceived. You would be glorified in our lives because of the things that you're doing through us behind the scenes. And so we pray for that. I pray for every person right now. Holy Spirit, just work in every single heart right now. Convict and challenge and then bring solution to that issue. And I pray for good people around every one of us that could speak into that and pray for that so that the very best of us will be brought out. I pray for that kind of church, Lord, because that kind of body, that kind of group of Christians, the possibilities are unlimited. The potential is absolutely unlimited. So we thank you for your spirit. Keep working in us every day.